the first step is take that first step. Like just, you can't worry about the things that you are going to worry about. So just take that first step, take that plunge. You know, it's very easy to sit on the edge of the pool and say, oh my God, the water's cold. But once you're in, it's surprisingly warm, right? So the same thing, even whether it's healthcare or food is, you know, jump in, surround yourself with people who can help you. Welcome to The Irresistible Factor, a podcast where I talk to founders and investors and retailers about what it takes to launch successful brands, from developing a compelling proposition and brand identity, to raising capital, to getting distribution, and more. My name is Christy Bridges, and I'm a marketing expert with tons of experience and a true love for all things health and wellness. Welcome to today's episode of The Irresistible Factor. Today, I'm really happy to have Yanni Tuomi on with me. He is the co-founder of I Am Aware, and I am thrilled to be talking about this topic because I think it's important, and I'm really happy that consumers and regular people are going to get to take control of their own health through products like this. So welcome to the podcast, Yanni. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Why don't you talk a little bit about I am aware and and tell everyone what that is, and then we'll sort of talk about your path to starting the company. Yeah. So I'm aware is one of kind of the early stage companies focused on home health testing. We uh, really want to be able to offer consumers the ability to have lab grade testing. So from home and what we say lab grade testing, we mean results that are comparable as accurate as tests that you can get done at the traditional lab. And I think the most exciting part about home testing and and home-based testing is typically you don't have to do, you know, get big needles. These are smaller finger stick type tests that are less painful, use less blood and, you know, offer that better experience. So that's what we're focused on, bringing those types of tests for things like heart disease, diabetes, autoimmune conditions. I have a question for you that's interesting. So they're just as accurate, even though you're doing a finger test instead of a draw of blood? Yeah. So not every test is compatible with home testing just yet. So some of the tests out there, like your CBC or CMP, some of the ones like complete metabolic profiles or Uh blood counts, those still are not very compatible with home testing. But a lot of other markers, like your heart disease biomarkers, pre-diabetes like A1C, are actually very much nowadays reliable and accurate and precise in the sense that you can use that information and share it with your doctor and they can trust it. And that's why we've really focused in on the science side of this to make sure that tests we offer are as compatible or as comparable to those ones that you could get done at a traditional lab. And talk about your audience. Like, who are the right people for you guys? Yeah, well, we started the company in 2017. 2018, we launched with celiac disease as our first test. And the number one type of audience that right away came to that test were people who were being turned away from their doctor or their symptoms, you know, were being told it was something else or they just weren't getting the answers. And celiac disease, unfortunately, has so many symptoms and a lot of people take forever to get diagnosed. And a lot of primary care doctors don't know how to map those hundreds of different symptom types to celiac disease. So they often don't order that test. So we had a lot of people who were getting, you know, the celiac test where they had a family member who had been diagnosed with celiac disease, and they felt that they had that same symptom. So a lot of people 
originally flock time aware were ones that just couldn't get the answer from, you know, their traditional care. Interesting. That's really interesting. And are you finding barriers to home testing right now? Or are people starting to sort of get over that and say, okay, this is really interesting and I can learn about myself and don't have to rely solely on one person? Yeah, it's like there's a pre-COVID world and a post-COVID world answer to that because back in 2018, 2019, there was a lot of skepticism, you know, early kind of thoughts from doctors were we can't test and trust home testing. And then COVID has obviously changed that. And now we see significant adoption, not just from, of course, patients and consumers, but actually doctors are now saying, hey, you know, go get a home test for that. You know, we've dug into it. You know, the doctors have said, okay, the data looks great, you know, on, on certain brands. I'd trust that one for you to do your routine heart checkup or your diabetes checkup or your inflammation checkups. So yeah, I think just the world in general has really awoken to home testing. Interesting. And do you talk to doctors as well? Like, is that part of your audience? Yeah. So we actually have a 12 member advisory team of clinicians and scientists who represent, you know, their communities of physicians and scientists. And they're talking on our behalf, learning about what it is that physicians would want to see in our data, in our reports, so that they can gain trust in aware. And we have really started to take and get a lot of advice and feedback and acceptance of aware tests specifically within the clinician community. So we've been able to onboard some amazing partnerships, even with some of the biggest scientific and companies in the world like BD and, and you know, with clinician groups that are starting to look at preventative cardiology and, and the such. So yeah, I think the uh, physician community, certainly a, a good, I'd say the the more technology savvy doctors, or maybe the ones that are just a little younger, are a little more yeah. open to adopting these technologies. And yeah, we've had good reception from that audience. So let's back up a little bit and talk about you and how you got here. So what's your background and, and what made you want to do this kind of thing? Because this is really... I think this is where health and wellness was from a food perspective years and years ago. Like there was fringe, there are fringe people who were interested, but you really had a lot of educating to do and a lot of sort of hurdle jumping to some degree. So what made you decide this was what you wanted to do? (laughs) I never woke up and said I wanted to do this. That's for sure. (laughs) I have a computer science degree. I used to build product all my life uh, for, for 20 some odd years and everything I've tried to do, I always thought about my mother and in my background is she likes things to be simple, like a toaster. That was always what she said. So everything I tried to build, whether it was a mobile app or everything in my career was, okay, how would my mom use this? Would she break it? I'd always get her to test things out, but she was an ER nurse. And so strangely enough, in 2010, my middle brother was having a lot of symptoms and back pains and he was getting sort of misdiagnosed by doctors as, Hey, you're in construction. That's just par for the course. You have back pain. What was really happening though is a cancer tumor was starting to grow and it was starting to touch up against his spine causing pain. And so after months and months of doctors just saying, don't worry about it, don't worry about it, go to stretch, go to physio, things like that. My mom kind of just one day basically had enough of that and said, I know there's something going on. And she basically, you know, took him to the hospital and said, I'm not leaving until you do something more than just, you know, look at him visually. Wow. And sure enough, they found a testicular cancer tumor the size of a cantaloupe in him. Oh my gosh. And that was, he then had to be put into chemo and for six months, you know, going through that whole kind of rigmarole. And he, and he obviously survived it, thank God. But that taught me the difference between what I was thinking at the time of sick care doctors 
and healthcare doctors. And so the doctors that were supposed to prevent these things, you know, didn't do tests. And then ironically, the doctors, once he went into ICU, they were running blood tests twice a day. They were looking at all kinds of biomarkers. And I started just to get curious around, like, why did these doctors not order the tests you're ordering? And, you know, we started talking about that. I asked, well, how much do these tests cost? And for the hospital, it's a couple bucks. So I'm like, well, why wouldn't they order it if it was a couple bucks? And you saw that my brother came back mm -hmm. multiple times with the same symptoms. So that just got me thinking about how can we put testing in the hands of patients? That was in 2010. And then just randomly in 2017, I had the chance to meet the doctor that helped debunk Theranos, that fraudulent small volume blood testing company. Yes. And he had spent his career being able to identify biomarkers from a drop of blood. So I did a test in his lab and pulled, you know, data from my vein and data from my finger and the numbers matched up. So that was like the oh, light bulb. Wow. Yeah. I'm like, that was my light bulb moment. And I asked this guy, I'm like, what are we going to do with this? Because you know, it's my brother's story. I would love to build a product that can put this in the hands of consumers because there's got to be more people out there than just my brother who don't get the diagnosis they need. And that was the start of I'm aware. So that yeah. was 2017 and kind of the rest is history. I quit my day job and just went after this. It felt like the right thing to do. And talk about what that's been like for you for the past couple of years, because that's a this is a hard category. I mean, this isn't a no brainer by any stretch, right? There are companies that are starting to do it. And this is definitely the beginning of something, I think. So talk about what the past few years have been like. Yeah, well, definitely before COVID, there was a lot of skepticism. People were like, you know, Theranos and small volume that you can't trust it. So the best thing about having a PhD with you is I got to learn more about things like biomarkers and data and science. And I very quickly learned if we're going to do something right in here, we have to have, and I have to surround myself as a co-founder with the best of the scientists out there. Yeah. And instead of saying things like what Theranos did was, oh, it's all private. It's a black box. We can't show you the data. We did the opposite. We submitted our data. We shared it with doctors. We were transparent. We jokingly, we're going to call ourselves anti-Theranos LLC. <laughs> But it was the right thing to do. And we started to prove to other physicians that this could be trusted. And then we started to onboard some of these doctors who wanted to help us, you know, go out to the community and say, hey, you can trust the home testing when it's done properly. And we had some amazing doctors from UCSD to University of Chicago come join our advisory team and say, hey, we really want to help you do this right this time. And so I really appreciate basically that I've been able to do this with these amazing doctors and scientists. And that was the one thing I think we got right, right off the bat was to be able to do this with communities of doctors, not sort of saying like, Hey, your doctor's wrong. Skip the doctor, you know, don't trust your doctor. We didn't create that negative kind of atmosphere. We wanted to work with physicians and, and honestly, that became the part of our culture of our company right from the start. That makes so, a lot of sense. I mean, it seems yeah. smart because I think I mean, if there is skepticism, that certainly seems like a good way to overcome it versus your doctor doesn't know. I mean, I'm sure there are people that also feel that way, you know, based on what you talked about with your brother, like a lot of things get missed and then you're sort of shaking your head later. But I think it's really interesting because so you have physicians on board and the consumer education, how has that been easy, hard yeah, consumer. So I love the word consumer versus patient because consumer implies you're healthy. Yes. Consumer means you want to protect your health. Yes. Patient sounds like someone who's diagnosed and sick Already and sick. get healthy, mm -hmm. right? So when we talk to those two different types of people, you know, patients, 
say things like, I just wish I had known earlier. Yes. And consumers are saying, I don't want to have happen to me what happened to my loved one. And yeah. so even though they come from different angles, the messaging, the educational approach, the science first language works for both consumers and patients because a lot of patients become our biggest advocates. Even if they didn't use an eye more test initially, they're ones that are sharing with their family members saying, you got to test for this. If I got it, there's probably family history risk. And consumers, as they read more, and especially after COVID, we hear a lot of stories around, you know, my spouse got COVID, but I didn't. What could be the cause mm -hmm. of that? We've started to learn that underlying conditions add to the risk factor of COVID. So people are starting to test now for things potentially like diabetes and heart mm -hmm. disease. So just doing this alongside the clinical community, but educating and unlocking patients to get access to their own data is the way it's been working. And we start with education. It's amazing that, you know, we, for example, we never ran a Facebook ad that would say things like, you know, one in two people, you know, will develop heart disease in their life and fear factor it. It's like, did you know that 50% of people who have heart attacks have normal cholesterol? And so leading with fact and education and citing that, showing study data around it, and then saying, here's what you can do about that. Yeah. You know, it's just been a, an approach we've taken right from the start. So interesting. When you were building the company, have you raised capital? I assume you have. Yeah. Yes. When you were doing that and making your investor deck and going through that process, what were you able to show them as far as like, it feels like a little bit of the wild west, like you don't know how many times someone's going to use a test once they get it into, but did you have data around that or were you really projecting? <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. That's so to go back to January, 2018, we knew that we were up against a huge uphill battle. You know, obviously mm -hmm. a majority of people don't even get tested. If they do, they go to their doctor. So yeah. we had an uphill battle. So we kind of really set the lowest of low. And in the first year, really only focused on that one test of celiac disease. Okay. And we wanted to show that if we could even test a few thousand people, that that was more important than trying to drive all this big revenue. We wanted to get the science right, get the experience right, get people writing us five-star reviews that everything about the process was good. We wanted to make sure they followed up with their doctor if they tested positive. So we actually took a different approach and a lot of venture capitalists turned us down because they thought we weren't going after revenue as fast as possible. So we found mm -hmm. an investor who wanted to be with us for the long term and really get it right. Because once we had it right, then you could scale and grow it. So we adopted the mindset of like, let's run a marathon, not a sprint here, right? Mm -hmm. And yeah. that's been our mindset ever since. So yeah, we didn't raise a lot of capital. If you even Google Amor, we're not public about this in the sense that we're bragging about how big or fast we're growing. That doesn't really matter to us. It's taking care of our patients. So that's amazing. And what has the growth been like for you guys since COVID? Because I know in this topic, especially pre-COVID and post have to be completely different. Yeah, no, we were doing thousands of tests in 2018, 2019 to tens of thousands of tests in 2020 to last year, we did, you know, over hundreds of thousands of tests. So it's been, it's been crazy to get to hundreds of thousands of tests from zero in three years. I'm like sure. It's basically, yeah, heading on four years pretty soon, but. Wow. That's amazing. Talk about the kinds of tests you offer. Yeah. So outside of celiac disease, which was the first test we put out there um, and continues to just 
be the de facto go-to test for people. Um, oh, it's really cool to see people still, you know, just say, hey, I took that iMore test and just our brand, our SEO is just absolutely number one in that space for that home test. A lot of heart disease has picked up a lot. So diabetes, A1C testing, heart disease, looking at lipids and, and triglycerides, and then, you know, kind of inflammation attached to that, like CRP. Yeah. We're starting to see an uptick, a little more specialized cardiology. So you heard me say that line, uh, which blows my mind, actually. 50% of people who have heart attacks have normal cholesterol. Yeah, so it's crazy. If you, I'm shocked. I'm yeah. shocked. And so then you start asking the question, okay, well, what can I do to test for that other 50%? Yeah. There are other biomarkers out there. There's genetic risk factors. There's oxidative stress markers. There's inflammation markers. There's all kinds of these additional data points. There's even a kind of a bad cholesterol called lipoprotein A. And it's an independent risk factor. So, you know, and it's surprising how many people have that. And there's no therapy for it today. But, you know, so there's lots of things that we're coming up with. And I know that even just the clinical community is adding to their test menu to start to help people identify these hidden risk factors, obviously way before you have that inevitable heart attack. So, mm -hmm. yeah. So, and what, does it one test at a time? Like, do you order specific things for specific issues? Yeah. So right now we're at the point where we can test kind of 10 to 12 biomarkers from one home test. Wow. So I would say a few years ago, we could do four to five really reliably. Uh -huh. Now we're at about 10. Next year, we hope to be at like 15 to 20. And, you know, the more biomarkers you add, that means you don't have to keep doing more tests and more pricks and more draws. Yeah. 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 So pretty soon we'll be in a position where you might just do one IMORA test once or twice a year, and it's scanning for all the things that would matter to you. So that's the way we want to see the world go. And of course, the other thing is once you take one test with us, your second test will help you monitor the things that are out of check. So each test can become personalized to you. So it's not just you're buying the same very expensive test every time you can get one that can become personalized to you. When you do your targeting to reach out from a marketing perspective, who are you looking for specifically? Is it people who have raised their hands and said they had an issue or people that are already like, I don't know, like I go to an integrated doctor or people like that? Yeah. So since COVID, actually, we've had more demand from businesses actually wanting to buy from us. So we've actually added B2B integration to our platform. So, you know, there are digital health companies that will do, you know, telemedicine consults. So you do your consult at home, but then they still send you over to a lab center to get yep. your blood work done. Yep. So now we're partnering with companies like that, that can oh. send you the kit before your virtual consult. So you can do the test at home, you can do the consult at home, and then, you know, you can receive care or prevention at home. So we've started to partner up with a lot of businesses like that. That's amazing. Um, so that's been good. And then, of course, the people who buy our tests, I always find them to be either early adopters and biohackers or first degree family members of people who've had those conditions. Interesting. Yeah. Talk about the challenges. There have to be tons of them, right? Because you're in a new category, relatively new category. You're doing something that hasn't been done very often and it's highly scientific. So it's not like you can wing it, right? Like, <laughs> I hope this works. And if it doesn't taste good, I'll modify the flavor. It's not like that. Yeah, exactly. Right. Well, we have to put a lot of checks and balances in, you know, one of the things that I wanted to always make sure I could do is go to bed at night feeling good about what we're doing. 
and making sure like, for example, any blind spots I have around science or governance or approvals, that those are all filled right off the bat so that there would never be that question mark around how did you not know that you had to do this extra science yeah. test? So we filled those pretty quickly. And again, I'm, I'm very thankful that we had, you know, amazing doctors and, you know, regulatory people who could help just make sure we didn't make any of those messes. From that perspective, you know, I do feel good that the science works. I take these tests, I share them with my family. So the science works. But then when you think about a startup, we're no longer a startup anymore in the sense that we've been for five years and yeah. We've exceeded, you know, millions of dollars in revenue, and now we're growing and partnering with major companies. So, you know, probably the hardship now is really making sure that we don't lose sight of ultimately who we set out to help, right? Mm -hmm. So always being grounded to our patient, to the consumer, continuing to innovate for their needs, taking their feedback, because I think that was probably one of the hardest things was you want to help everybody, but everyone's giving you their opinions or feedbacks. And sometimes they are opposite opinions, right? Someone's like, Hey, yeah. I want you to do this to your product. And someone's saying, I want you to do this to your product. So trying to balance user feedback with also bringing new innovations to market, I think is probably a really hard thing because in healthcare, to your point, you can't just kind of throw a haphazard product out there and hope your users catch the bugs. Nope. This isn't Gmail. That's for sure. Yeah. So, yeah. So doing that, balancing that, making sure that the product is really, really effective when we do ship it, Getting all that right is always a challenge, but that is, you know, why I'm just as excited today as I was five years ago to keep running this business. And I would imagine you're collecting data constantly on your consumers and your patients, right? It seems like once someone makes the leap to do something with you, it feels like the relationship part of it could be less challenging than other brands. Yeah. Well, yeah. it helps because one of our terms of use is we don't sell your data. I think we're I'm going to go out on a limb here and say we're one of very few companies in, in our space that doesn't sell patient data. Oh, that's and interesting. So, yeah, because we want it to be your data. We don't want someone else to have a hold of it. And, you know, we want you to control your own data and, and what you do with that. So for that sense, it does, you know, make a relationship strong when people try our tests. They like the experience. They see yeah. that data it helps improve their life. We have a lot of people who are strong advocates for our products within their families, or even some people have taken the test to their doctor and be like, you need to offer this for all your patients. Like we've got some strong advocates. It's really amazing. I'm sure. And the, the going to a lab for blood draws, it's a terrible experience. I mean, it's almost never a nice experience. The waits are really long. The technicians are, sometimes you get a great one. Sometimes you don't. So you really, it is kind of terrible actually. <laughs> <laughs> and so yeah. the idea that you don't have to go through that, like my doctor has someone in their office, but I still don't always have a good experience. And if, I think there's something really interesting about being able to sort of control that experience on your own. Yep. And, you know, we're going to see some of the technology that's, that we're talking about that makes small volume testing viable. Yeah. We're already seeing some of the new kind of modern clinics out there using that same collection method of your finger in their offices. Yeah, so even they're right. moving away from the big needle in the vein approach, which is great to see. Cause when you see, you know, these physician offices using it, then you say, Hey, well, if they're using it, I can go home and do this myself too. Right. So I'm really excited about what the future has to hold around things like, again, small volume blood testing and things like that. And you talked about a lot of people just don't get tested at all. I do think the big needle thing mm -hmm. is a barrier. I mean, it's scary for so many people. 
So that's interesting what you're doing. Where do you see the whole category going? Like, do you feel like this is going to take the place in a lot of ways of what people are now doing? Well, you said something about barriers to access. I want to answer your question. I want to say something that maybe most people aren't aware of. Okay. That's another barrier to access. And it is high copays, high deductible insurance plans. When we survey people with insurance and when we understand the 80th percentile of insurance, those people have to pay more for a test covered by insurance because of copay than they would paying cash for an IMOR test. So just think about that. If 80% of people have to pay $79 to $99 for a test and IMOR offers it for $69 to $89 and it's your door and you don't have to leave work and you don't have to drive and get parking, it's actually because insurance is only getting more expensive and our prices are staying flat, it's actually going to continue to push more and more people towards these types of self-directed types of healthcare where they can do their own screening and then they can go to the doctor when they see something or the doctor can come on a telemedicine consult through Zoom. And I think just that rising cost of insurance is going to be a driver to enable virtual care, digital health and and at-home testing. I couldn't agree with you more because it is really expensive and there's constantly, yeah, there's constantly separate costs that you don't even think about when your doctor sends you. That's really interesting. Talk about your competition. Like, are you even thinking about that? Do you worry about that, about new entries into the category from really big players? So there's a lot of names out there. There's definitely a bunch that are just popping up. I do worry about, you know, the science of things with some companies because, you know, you take a blood test, you want it. Like most people don't know what it means to be part of a CLIA lab or a CAP accredited lab or to understand that there's all kinds of data like the study data between the finger blood and the vein blood. Like you should have all that data somewhere to show that test is accurate. And then when you ship it back to the lab, do those companies go through stability testing? Because, you know, if that blood is sitting in a hot mailbox in Phoenix, Arizona, cooking for five days, you might call to question the viability of that sample. So all of those data points, there's no standard way to vet companies. There's not like, you know, a cereal box where you read fat carbs and proteins yet. So we're working, you know, with our chief medical officer to create something that consumers can understand to say, Hey, does your home test do these five things? Yeah. Right. And if it doesn't, I wouldn't trust it. So I think we're going to see that this industry, both good leading companies are going to be proactive. And then, you know, the regulatory bodies will sort of vet out kind of the bottom ones. Uh, and they'll go away soon. Yeah. So your worry really isn't the competition. It's what <clears throat> kinds of things they're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, I pay attention to some of the words and language they use and fear-based marketing. I know it probably works for them, but I don't think that's positive or not being transparent about data. I don't think that's positive. So yeah. And anything that says, you know, like skip the doctor, you got this. I mean, some conditions are pretty advanced, you know, it's pretty hard to just like self-correct pretty advanced heart disease. So you got to go to your doctor, right? So I just, you know, there's little things like that, that sort of, I keep watching out for and and we make sure to over vector. And so that's why we focus our brand on science and that type of approach. So, but in terms of competition, you know, there's so much care that we can enable that we really don't really worry about competitors because even other companies say we can beat with them. We don't run into them too often because there's so many people who want home testing and yeah. there's more than enough runway right now for all of us 
you know, yeah. to, to be successful. So I think that's the way I, I'd like to think about any company I run is just focus on doing the best you can and don't get too distracted by your competitors, right? Yes. It's a cool piece of advice. And it's an interesting time because when you think about what you're selling people, it's so it's like you're collecting your own data on yourself and then you're doing whatever you need to do with it, right? So it's sort of like what we're talking about with brands or what you're doing from a data proof perspective. Like you're collecting data and then you're going and sharing it with someone, a, an investor, a partner, whatever. And now consumers are getting to collect their own data on their bodies and then do whatever they do with it. Either they just monitor it themselves until there's an issue or they get to share it, which is kind of interesting. I think it's really yeah. cool. Like bringing yeah. something really exciting from a control perspective, you know, like the self-directed health and wellness consumer, this feels like the exactly right path for them. Yeah. I got to tell you, I mean, I, I myself not only work in the business, I'm a customer myself. So I've been able to lose that little bit of extra weight. I've been able to bring my triglycerides down almost 20%, my wow. LDL 18%. I did adopt an omega-3 from Ewe, and I've watched my LDL decrease, just like they said. They are a scientific omega-3 based supplement company. And I've learned, like, I didn't know any of this stuff five years ago around, you know, just how easily you can prevent things if yeah. you have the data, right? So now as I track myself, I've seen even just this most crazy biomarker most people don't know about called cortisol. It's yeah. your kind of your stress or fight or flight. And I had, I guess maybe as a business co-founder, I was high, like super high. And I just didn't even realize then how bad my sleep was. And when I started yep. to pay attention to that and ways to bring it down, I sleep better. I've now added a little bit of magnesium to my diet at the end of the night. I'll take a small amount of magnesium. It helps calm me when I go to bed and my cortisol's dropped. My sleep's improved. My LDL's gone down. All those things that most people would say, oh, you need a pill or two. You need yeah. to get a drug. Yeah. I've been able to just sort of, you know, clean up over the past eight to 12 months of focusing on it. And it's amazing the results. So I think if more people have access to that kind of data, they'll do something about it. But when you don't know, you don't know, right? So no, that's so interesting. Do you give people information on what, like you said, you did things, right? You got results and then you, it, you made some changes. How do people know what changes to make? Do you provide that information or is that something completely different? Yeah. So there are some recommendations on our reports and we kind of try to put people into risk buckets like green, yellow, orange, red. Yeah. So when someone's in a red bucket and let's say it's heart disease, our recommendation is going to be, please go see a doctor immediately like yeah. that. Or can we book a consult for you? Because something like that, when you have something really elevated, you know, you don't want to take the chance that you're just going to try something over the counter yeah. and, you know, we can't be responsible for that. So in the strongest possible words, we help guide people towards care. But if you're, you know, yellow, like, like I had a bunch of those yellow markers, you know, the answer can be supplementation. It's amazing what sleep diet exercise can do. Mm -hmm. Sleep number one, actually, as a co-founder used to sleep like four hours a night for a year or two, I just added three hours of sleep to my life and things have improved. It's crazy. So a lot of like simple recommendations like that are available for each of our tests when you're in those lower risk buckets and we can help you optimize around that. And then with some amazing partners, whether it's Elo or Ewe or some of the others, they actually then will send you the supplements or book consults with health coaches or, or doctors or nurses to help you then actually achieve the health outcome you're looking for. 
And some companies out there are now doing things like reversing type two diabetes. Yeah. So you're hearing that if you catch these things earlier, you can absolutely do something to get back in great health. Yeah. And I remember a few years ago, there were so many books that could help you do those things, but you couldn't get the testing. So you were just crossing your fingers and hoping you were doing the right things. But now I think that you can monitor it. It's really cool. Where do you yeah. want to be in five years? Where do you want I'm aware to be? Good question. Well, first off, I hope as a globe we're out of COVID. My God, right? Oh my gosh. <laughs> it's just another it way. I feel like it, I have to yeah. say, but I really have my fingers crossed too. Yeah, because I think it's been tough on people's health and mental health and physical health. So I really yeah. truly hope that just we get to sort of move on from this because it's been really hard on lots of people. But as a company, I think we will continue to focus on both the customer and the patient bringing the best of science into the home. And we think that in probably the next couple of years, there's going to be that tipping point where, you know, it starts to become very apparent that I'm aware it's the brand that you can trust. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we have sort of that mass appeal. And I think we can be a lifestyle brand for people, not just this, you know, biohacker brand. People will start to get really comfortable just doing that test, you know, once or twice a year and monitoring their data and driving improved health. So I think we'll find ourselves a really kind of like desirable part of people's lifestyle in those. Yeah, I, I hope that's true. I think it's awesome what you're doing. I really do. Important work. Yeah. People. Before we wrap up, first of all, I really appreciate all your time. And I think this is fascinating and I'm so excited for you. Any advice you'd want to give to people who are starting things like this? I mean, it's very different than a food startup. Obviously, there are rules and regulations and science and all that stuff. Anything you want to share as far as I learned this, don't do it, or here are things you have to do? Yeah, I got a couple. Number one, you definitely, like everyone who's like, what's the first step you should do in starting your startup? The first step is take that first step. Like just, you can't worry about the things that you are going to worry about. So just take that first step, take that plunge. You know, it's very easy to sit on the edge of the pool and say, oh my God, the water's cold. But once you're in, it's surprisingly warm, right? So the -hmm. same thing, even whether it's healthcare or food is, you know, jump in, surround yourself with people who can help you. Anyone who wants to message me, I gladly help. But I found that other co-founders out there, people who've done startups, are just happy to help other people succeed and help them with their passion, right? Like when I talk to people, even if they haven't started up their business, you can see the passion and people want to help people like that, right? So I think that's why for me, just take that first step, you know, and don't ever doubt yourself because if you believe it so strongly, you can rub off in an addictive way with other people and they'll start to get passionate about you. And like I said, I had doctors want to come help me. I didn't really even know the first thing about medicine but I made sure to surround myself with people who could help me in that. Right. And so taking that first step is just the most important thing. And then basically I kind of said number two, which was don't be afraid to ask for help. Right. Like too many founders think, Oh my God, I got to be this superhero that knows everything. No, I think if you can admit to yourself, there's so much you don't know and go get the people who, you know, know those things, surround yourself with people who can help you with your blind spots. It can only go up and only explode from there. So. I think that's an important one because I think people are afraid sometimes to show that they don't know things, but there's no way to know everything. I mean, nobody knows everything. Yeah, exactly. It's funny in the past five years with Daimler, I have learned more about what I don't know than I swear yeah. about what I do know. Right. It's, and it's an amazing feeling to be like, wow, I never even knew that about myself that I behave this way, or I don't do this well, or I, I that's not my strength. I've learned more about my weaknesses and now I surround myself with people to help me with those. 
so that we can go and build this amazing product. Yeah, and instead of beating yourself up over them, right? Yeah, that's yeah. amazing. Yeah. So those are my two things for any founder, any, you know, early stage company, you know, leader and, and everything else, you know, it's part of the journey and the adventure of a startup. There'll be great times and there'll be bad times and all of the above. Right. So. I want to ask you one more question and then I'll let you go. You're in Austin. Yeah. Austin is like big startup city now. Is there anything about Austin that drew you to it or were you already there? Do you, have you had an experience with the startup community that you want to share? So I actually spent 20 years of my career in Canada in Toronto and just two years ago, moved to Austin to grow iMore. I actually originally founded it in Toronto and some of my coworkers and the investors and lots of doctors were out of Houston, Austin and Chicago. So I came to join in Texas when we got to a point where it was worth picking up my family and, you know, consolidating our offices and really coming down here to build this thing correctly. So, and, and how has the community been there? Have you felt the sort of, I mean, I know there's a lot of collaboration going on. There are a lot of little organizations that help companies. So have you gotten involved in any of that? Yeah, there's lots of events here, Capital Factory to others, startups. There's a big scene here built in, has good coverage. So yeah, I've been at events and it's amazing, you know, just when I changed my LinkedIn city, even how many people just came out and said, Hey, would love to have you join this. Or, Hey, now that I see you're in Austin, can we meet for coffee? It's just an amazing community. And I really do like that people are both reaching out and wanting to share and wanting to invite outsiders like myself into the community. So yeah, I, I think Austin's a great place right now. And yeah, but I think let's not even worry about Austin for a second. You're seeing startup hubs all over the place. I've heard yeah. them, you know, Miami to Kansas to Denver, yeah. Detroit's resurging. And, you know, I just love that there's so much innovation and in startup in so many other cities and it's kind of just the coasts, right? And so yes. Yes. the number one thing that makes that happen is people, right? People wanting to share, help, and be collaborative. You know, you can incubate a startup community in any city. That's great. It's yeah. awesome. I'm so happy that it's happening. And I love that it's so collaborative. I really think that's different than a lot of other industries I've certainly worked in. This group of people in this health and wellness and food space feels like they want to just sort of help everyone. Yeah. It's not, not about killing people and it's hard to collaborate and get them to feel like part of something. And I think that's, what's really happening now. So I love it. Yeah, no, absolutely. Awesome. Awesome. Anything you want to add before we wrap up? Well, I think there's a few quotes going around there and I'll just say it again is food can be medicine, right? And, you know, I think part of the companies that have been on the show and founders that, you know, have ideas that, you know, can help people. I think we're going to see more and more of that concept become mainstream. So I invite everybody to follow their passions in that and, you know, unlock food and health and wellness and medicine in that approach. So awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time. This has been a wonderful interview. I'm so happy to chat with you and I really love what you're doing. I can't say it enough. I think it's so great (laughs) and important. Well, thank you. Yeah, no, I'm really happy to have spent this time with you as well. Thank you for listening to The Irresistible Factor. I'm Christy Bridges and I can't wait to see you next Wednesday. 